So I want to set us up here. Where are we? We are at Christ the Reconciler on October 27, 2018. Wittenberg 2017 was one year ago. We didn't really plan it that way, but it just happened that way. This retreat is essentially on the year anniversary of Wittenberg 2017. And as most of you know, the Lord spoke to Amy and I to take a Sabbath year after Wittenberg 2017 to say, what is next? And to really listen to the Lord and to rest. We needed to rest. Um, and I talked in the last retreat about how that Sabbath year has kind of looked and how it's been different for Amy and I. But I think the important thing is to say that we've been asking the Lord, what is next? And I think almost, you know, you think, okay, I'm going to take a year. I'll ask God a question. Maybe at the end of the year, he'll give me an answer. I, think that I felt like God gave us an answer almost immediately by asking us a question. And this question has been at the heart of everything we've done in the last year, namely, what would it look like for a community to live out John 17? That's the question we heard from the Lord last November, December, presented to the community, if you remember, in January and August uh, and February. And it was that question and us sensing that the Lord had asked us that question that led us to say, let's take the retreats and peer into John 17 in detail. Because, you know, what, well, there's not an obvious answer to the question the Lord is asking. What would it look like for a community to live out John 17? Um, so we need to at least know John 17, right? Well, in order to know John 17, you know, you need to, that's set in the context of the upper room discourse. John 15 leads into John 17 as an example. And so that was the genesis of saying, let's do the circle preaching retreats on John 13, 14, 15, 16. And that has led to today. So in many ways you could think of today you know, as a culmination. And uh, some, hopefully most of you saw that I sent out a study guide. I don't know if, how many had a chance to see it, but in many ways I feel like this is a taste of the way that the uh, that this is a culmination. Um, and it speaks exactly to what you were saying, Jason, because it struck me early on in the John 13 retreat, wow, John 17 is in John 13. I mean, John 13, 1. Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, John 17, 1. Father, the hour has come. It can't be more obvious than that. And so it struck me that, okay, somehow John 17 is woven in with this earlier passage. And the more I studied it, the more I realized Jesus is praying the upper room discourse. That's what's happening in John 17. He's told his disciples, and then he prays what he tells them. Uh, and so every verse, in, as far as I can see, every verse in John 17 has a precursor of verses all through the upper room discourse. So this was, this is that. So what I did was just take phrase by phrase, John 17, and surround it with all the verses that are, I thought were related from the previous times in the upper room discourse. So this, you know, as Jim said, this is 42 pages. Don't be intimidated by 42 pages. Just open it up, grab this, and meditate on it. You know, go to your part about rejoicing and see how John 15 feeds into it. Because Jesus' prayer sometimes is difficult to understand, but it's easier if you see how what he said earlier informs what he prayed. 
On the other hand, in a certain sense, he's praying what he already spoke, and so there's a dialogue going there between the upper discourse and the prayer. Uh, so this, I really want to encourage you, uh, us as a community, this is something I think is going to become a really important part of our community life going forward, and Diane sent me a text to that effect in the week, which was very encouraging. Like the seven things that God spoke to us about community out of the upper room discourse that I talked about last time, those are also, the Lord has been speaking to us this year. These are not uh, things we put on the shelf. He's speaking to us because these are critical things for us to seize onto and to get inside of ourselves for what he's called us to going forward. Did I say that strongly enough? So what is going to happen going forward? Well, I don't know. You know, the question kind of in my mind is, is God about to step on the accelerator? Because in many ways, I felt like this, I felt like this year has been a, a year of just resting. It's been different for Amy. She's been, <laughs> she's been in the acceleration she, herself. But in terms of our community, we've specifically said nothing new this year. No houses, no mission, new mission state, you know, nothing new. No new website. Our old website is still sitting there and it's kind of embarrassing, but hey, nothing new. What's going to happen, you know, as this year winds down and next year starts? I don't know, but my sense is that God is very purposefully preparing us for what's coming. One thing that I'll just point out is that uh, I'm going with John, Patrick, and Clara over Thanksgiving to New York to visit the Bruderhof. This is a little bit unexpected. Uh, I've, it's been on my heart very much, but I wasn't thinking it could happen until next year. It's hard to imagine when it could happen. And just somehow it, it, it happened and the right time came. And so uh, why am I going? Well, many reasons, but one is to sit down and talk to, with them about community. What is, you know, explain what we're hearing from the Lord, hear their reflections, you know, talk both on the high level and also on the detail level about, you know, how does community work? Because I think they have some treasures that will be very helpful for us, and they're interested, and they're beautiful people because they're not interested in reproducing the Bruderhof, although they're happy to do that. I mean, they're planning a Bruderhof community in Austria, and the Longs are part of that now, involved in that. The Longs were... All those European problems. All those European problems. Exactly. But but they you know they are happy they've expressed when we met with them in Red and Priscilla in Phoenix. Just you know, we want to sew into you guys for where you are at and what the Lord's calling you to. So I'm excited about that. Also going to talk to them about publishing, because they have a publishing house. That's one of the things they do. So, what will come from that? I don't know, but, but I also thought, you know, I think it might be helpful for a larger group of us to go up there. Because there's something about seeing what somebody's doing and tasting it and touching it that's very different than hearing about it. So one of the things I'm, I'd like to do is scout out the possibility of a spring break trip for a group of us to drive up over spring break next year and visit 
The Brewdrop, yes. This is a random question, but um, the 2017 talk at Wittenberg about the Brewdrop community that they gave, is that available online or something? Huh? Okay. It is. Yeah. Wittenberg2017.org. Or that's US. Are the pictures there too? Yes. Oh, that's a good question. Did I? That was an amazing stretch. I can't remember if I put their slides to the talk or not. I think I did, but I could I could be wrong on that. It'd be good to do that. But better than the talk would be to go live, you know, so I'm gonna ask them, could we is there a possibility we could take a trip up over spring break next year and just hang out with you guys? Next year, twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. Oh. March. All right. Soon next year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So there's a lot, there's a lot that's in this day today, and I just wanted to kind of put us in that context. There's a whole, not retreat, there's a whole five-day getaway that we need to spend on John 17 and how it speaks to us as a community. Hmm. And I wanted to broach that and he said, no, that's too much. I <laughs> touched that today. Yeah, so five-day retreat in several years, it'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Retreat. Yeah. Retreat. Yeah, let's talk about for me, it would be nice to go somewhere else. <laughs> if only there were a retreat center in Elgin. <laughs> so John 17 is set in the, in the context of the upper room discourse. There are four, really, I think, four parts of John 17. And, it, and sometimes you see this in breakdowns of Bibles, and it's divided different ways. But in this book, I divided it up and gave different colors to my little balloons in the different parts. So you can kind of see blue, red, orange, purple, just to give you a visual clue of which part of the prayer we're in. So these four parts uh, are, number one, Jesus communes with the Father. I love it that he begins by just talking with his Father. Hey, Dad, I completed the work that you gave me to do. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? And so we get to peer into that discussion and hear him just dialoguing with the Father about his life and work and ministry and what's next. Part two, I'm really happy my dad kind of pointed this out. Jesus commends his disciples to the Father. You said he was thankful. That's really true. He says, hey, here are these guys. They believe me. They listen to me. You know, they're still with me. And he's talking about his disciples to the Father and saying, hey, you know, I'm commending them. I'm honoring them before you. And then he moves pretty quickly into interceding for his disciples. So he's very specific about it. He says, I'm asking on their behalf, not on behalf of the world, but on their behalf. He's praying specifically for his disciples. And this is where the protection prayer comes in. He prays for them, protect them, God. Very interesting to think about that. You know, what was the, you know, in light of Amy's talk about Peter, protect them. And then, of course, we all know, he shifts and prays, I'm praying now on behalf, not only of them, but of everyone who will believe through their message. So part four is he prays for you and me and the entire body of Christ. So these four parts, it's really helpful to know kind of what part of the prayer you're in and who's he praying for and what's he praying about. As you pray. And there's a lot that can be said from all of these four parts, but I want to focus in on the last part where Jesus prays for us. 
I've often said, you probably heard me, in very all sorts of contexts, you know, Jesus prayed only one thing for us. Have you anybody, any of y'all ever heard me say that? You know, he, what did he pray? He could have prayed for, you know, all sorts of things. What did he pray? And generally I find people are astounded when they really think about it. That Jesus prayed for them. And he prayed, what did he pray? He didn't pray for doctrinal correctness or service for the poor or missions and evangelism. He prayed for unity. You know, whoa, there's a whole lot there that we could go into, but that's what I've said. I'm backing up from that statement now, today, and saying, well, actually, I think he prays three things for us. And I think all three things are important to see. They're all distinct in their own way, but they're all interrelated as well. So that's this talk today is to look at these three prayers. Okay? The first pass, kind of through, what does he pray? So, four parts of the prayer, I talked about that. Okay, first, that they will be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world will believe that you have sent me into this world. There's a lot there. <laughs> There's a whole lot there. It's a beautiful prayer. It's a surprising prayer. It's an astonishing prayer. Nobody would ever dare to pray this. I believe. I believe you would be, you know, in church systems where they care about heresy, you would be convicted of heresy if you prayed this, if Jesus hadn't prayed it first. That our unity, our love for one another, our oneness would be to the level of the Father and the Son. It's astonishing. It never ceases. I mean, I've been peering into this prayer for two decades now, and intensely really for the last two years, and it just never ceases to astonish me that Jesus prays this prayer. So this is one of the things he prays for us. The second thing he prays for us is very dear to my heart. One of my life verses, I've preached a few messages about this. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. I mean, this is just precious. His, he cries out to God, my desire. Father, I desire. What does Jesus desire? You know, shouldn't this be front and center on everything that every church does? What is our Lord and Savior, our Redeemer, our King, what does He want? Well, here He tells you, what I want is to be with you. And that's what Philip was talking about this morning. What I want is to be with you. I want that relationship. That's all of creation is moving towards that. This is really beautiful. I've spoken on this before. It's about, it's love. I mean, it's that, you know, you get, sometimes I think in the church, you get, especially in the Protestant side, you get this sense of uh, God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That it was a begrudging gift. And that some of the glory of his love was that he didn't really want to do it. But he did. You know? We are so unworthy of his love, which is true, but agape love is to, you know, give even when you don't feel like it. Now, there's truth in that. There's, you know, it's not, you don't stop loving if you don't feel like loving. That's, but this is so much more glorious. Mature love involves the feelings. God wants to be with us. He desires us. He likes us. This is, high, this is tied into John 3.13. Right at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus called to himself 
those he, he desired to be with him, the ones he liked, he called the ones he liked. And what was his first assignment to them? So that they would be with him. He called the ones he wanted to be with him for the purpose that they would be with him. I mean, that is such a beautiful, you know, the beginning of his ministry, here we are at the end of his ministry, it's the same thing throughout. And so this is something we can just live in and just take joy in. You know, have you ever stood before Jesus and just said, Jesus, you want to be with me? You want me to be with you? That's awesome. Okay. Now, it could be said that this is not directly a prayer for us, but more an expression of Jesus' heart. I see it really as both. It's a prayer for us to be with him to the Father, and also an expression of his heart. All right, good. So, is, is it a sub-point that they can see my glory, or is that... Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. Okay. We'll hit it in a little while, because I'm going to pass through these several times. But Amy, kind of, yeah, to see my glory. I wanted to see who I am. Yeah, I, really, I do think that it is. It is um, I think both the Father and the Son long to be known as as who they are. And Jesus, when he walked on the earth, was, was truly manifesting the Father's nature. He is the same person in heaven as he was here. Mm -hmm. He will be recognizing his character is the same. And yet there's a splendor about him that he can't wait for us to see because it's it's part of who he is as well. And it's part of that was um, clothed. I mean, and that's that's a that's a beautiful thing as well. I think you know there's there's something that he's not holding, not withholding, but something that um, is yet to be revealed that he longs to reveal. Yeah. Um, and the to see my glory which you have given me in this, the first thing I put above it is, I will love them and reveal myself to them. That's what he says in the upper discourse. Mm -hmm. Same thing. What, what Yehovah says to, to Moses is like, okay, I, I'll, I'll tell you my name. I, I'll give you as much glory as you can take, but you can't, you're going to take it. You can't take it yet. You, you would die. Mm -hmm. And so I think Jesus is longing for the resurrection so that we can we can handle it. You know, <laughs> because we can't handle the, the glory yet. So yeah. he's waiting for that. I mean, you see what happens in Revelation when John sees his glory. He falls, he falls down falls like a dead face. <laughs> right? So I, I understand your question now. It's a very good one, Jason. I was not trying to say that's a sub-point. It's an equal. He prays that we'd be with him and that we would see his glory. So I, very good point. Is that, a, is that another thing you pray? So is there five things you pray? Or that's what I was uh, um, Yeah, that's a good question. I think of it as one thing to be with me and see my glory. Okay. But yeah, you could you could say that's a separate prayer. Good point. Just trying to get this up to seven points. Yeah. Since you passed three. <laughs> <laughs> and then right at the end, that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I in them. I mean mind blown. <laughs> It's, it's like the first prayer. We would never dare to pray this either. That the love that the Father has for Jesus, he's saying that love, that same kind of love, that same quality, that same magnitude, that same, put it in them. I mean, do we love Jesus to the same degree the Father does? No, and it's blasphemy to even think that we could, right? Well, and then Jesus prays for it. 
I mean, this, these are astounding, to me, astounding prayers. And it, it, it gives you that sense of, you know, do we pray like this? Because I think there's an invitation to. It's just, yeah, if you, because it feels like heresy, probably tells us we're still have some cultural residue from we're not in the kingdom and those things. Yeah. It's Linda, I'm sure I've told this, Linda Pallone had a major break in her life when somebody told her Jesus didn't die so that you could have a relationship with the Father. So it caused that. He died so you could have his relationship. reminds me of the, the classic C.S. Lewis passage. The problem is not our desires are too great. They're, they're too small. <laughs> you know, we, I think he says something like, we can't imagine what a holiday at the beach would be like, so we sit and we make little mud pies, pies in the slum. <laughs> and this is, you know, this is the holiday and the beach stuff. Where this is what Jesus prays for us. Now once again, this is less obviously a prayer as well. If you look at it in the context of verse 25, he says, I've made your name known, which is, goes back to the name that Amy was talking about. And we'll continue to make it known, which is also worthy of peering at at some point, in order that the love that you have loved, so there's, it's a promise in a certain sense that this will happen. But in my, I also, you know, it's in the context of his prayer. So to me, this is both a promise and a prayer. Let it happen. And it will happen. All right. So, and the I and them, is that all the same thing? Is that it's, yeah, that's, you know, the, the love you've loved me with may be in them, and I in them. So in the sense it's two prayers, in the sense it's, they're not closely connected. And I'll come back to this in a little while. Yes, Scott? I have a question. Please, Jesus, I mean, but in reconciliation or unity, do you think that love is a present thing that has to be present for that to happen? You mean if there's a broken relationship? No, no, I mean just like in unity or love with anything or reconciliation with anything. Do you think love has to be present? Yeah, I would. I think love is reconciliation is one aspect of love. Mm -hmm. Unity is one kind of aspect of love as well. But I don't think you could have reconciliation or unity with a person if there wasn't love there. Right, yeah. Now there can there can be a situation where one person is loving the other person and the other person is hard is cold. So this person pursues and pursues and pursues, but there's a there has to be a turning. So love has to awaken in order for there to be two way reconciliation. But I think 
I think he has a good point because when we see the cross as reconciling our sins, then you've missed that the whole thing was about love and unity and reconciliation of sins are byproducts of the main thing of having Jesus's relationship with our Father. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. Like seeing the cross, you know, and I mean, I. Yeah. I just think that's kind of what. Okay. In my my own brain. I suspect Karen heard better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> I was um, I was looking at it, just taking that bit, and then the first bit with um, unity that. Um, you may have what they may have as well. So I seem seems like basically a repeat, repeat of that, but fucking love them as well. Yeah, that's right. It's very they're very tied in. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's actually where I want to go next. But first I want someone to pray a prayer of thanksgiving that we have this prayer recorded. In order for us to have this prayer recorded, Jesus had to pray it. He had to pray it in the hearing of his disciples. John had to hear it. He had to remember it. He had to write it down. It had to be transmitted to us through the ages. So, I mean, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Jonathan's video of Granny Annie. You know, how thankful I am that we have that. We've got this recording of Jesus' prayer for us. So is there anyone that would be willing to just pray a prayer, a simple prayer of thanksgiving to... Well, let me point out one thing that I've said, which I think is important here. And that is that this is a repetitious prayer. prayer. He prays the same thing several times. Uh, and that, 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 to me, that shows that he had been regularly praying this yeah, prayer I agree. for a long yep. time mm-hmm. over these mm-hmm. men. It's in his heart, and now finally he prays it over. Yeah, that's that's also how John can remember it. Exactly. All right, so someone. Go, Jace. Father, you are so good. You revealed yourself to so many, so many ways, but in the last times you revealed yourself to us in Jesus. And and you called people to follow you up close that that had the capacity to hear you. You gave them ears to hear you. You work it into, into their being, into their minds. You capture their imagination. Thank you for John's imagination yes. being captured. Thank you for preserving his life in all those times when he could have been lost before he wrote this down. Thank you for your sovereign care. Thank you for the Paul's letters and Luke's letters and Matthew and, and more. Thank you that when John read all that, he said, yeah, let me, there's... There, let me say it another way. Thank you for how you made us differently. Thank you for John. Thank you for uh, thank you for the preserved Amen. testimony. Thank you, Lord. That's un- it's just it's a miracle. You're yes. so good. Yes. Thank you. And thank you for bringing it to us and breathing upon it. Yes. And, thank and you. making it life giving. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to go back to these three prayers because I've talked a little bit about how they're different. John Patrick just alluded to it. They're, connect, they're connected as well. This is one way I see they're connected. Each prayer is an invitation into the unity of the Trinity. And this is really critical for us at CTR because the Lord has really made this a core part of our 
teaching gift, calling. I mean, Amy's teaching on this idea of being invited into the unity of the Trinity just wrecks people whenever she's talking about it. And so let's look at each one of these. And of course, it's kind of, you know, summed up in this picture, right? Which Philip talked about last time. There's a place at the table for us. That's what one of the important things of this image is. Is the Trinity is not closed, the Trinity is open, and there's a place at the table for us. That they all be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Well, there's the Trinity, you know, the love of the Trinity is right there. May they also be one in us. I mean, there it is. He's praying that we would be brought, just like Philip said again today, <laughs> we would be brought into the love relationship shared among the members of the Trinity. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they can see my glory, the glory you gave me because you loved me before the creation of the world. So here's the ex expression of the Trinity. The Father gave the Son glory before the creation of the world. There's life going on there before the world was ever created. And he's saying, I want them to see that. I want them to be with me, to be brought to the table. You know? This is interesting. It'd be interesting. I know, I've never thought of this, but it'd be interesting to pray that prayer while gazing at that icon. That they would be with me. <laughs> There's an empty place here. Father, I want them to be with me. Let this place be filled. And then at the end, of course, that the love you have loved me with, the love that's in the middle of the Trinity, Maybe in them, and if you didn't get the message, also, also I in them. <laughs> so all three of these prayers, there's a common theme that we can kind of seize onto, which is they're all about this invitation of people somehow coming into the relational unity of the Godhead, which is both astounding and incredibly helpful and beautiful and should inflame our life every day. Alright. Now I'm going to wander, uh, hopefully not into the weeds, but I think what I've said so far has been safely orthodox. <laughs> Feel free to correct me afterwards if it hasn't been. These are more thoughts that I have as I meditate on this. Okay? So these are just my thoughts. And they're not meant to be exclusionary. They're not meant to be dogmatic. They're just more gazing at the mystery, and these are the things that come to my mind. I see these three prayers together as not only an invitation into the unity of the Trinity, but also as expressing the life of the Trinity. So in many ways, I feel like the first prayer is really about the Father. That they would all be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that they also be one in us. Now, of course, it's not exclusively in any way about the Father. It's about, as I already said, the relationship between the Father and the Son. But my sense is, in a, there's a certain way in which Jesus is saying, Father, your love is so, you know, the life I have with you is so awesome, I want them brought into this life. It's almost like, I want them to know you, Father. That's me. That's kind of my sense. Now, there's a lot more going on. I'm not saying that's all that's going on. 
But to me, there's a little hint of that. Here, I see this as being primarily focused on Jesus. Father, my desire is that they would be with me so they can see my glory. This is many, many translations are like, Father, I desire. I love that. I just love Jesus saying, here's what I desire. So in a certain way, this is about the Son and the life. You know, Father, it'd be so great if they came and knew your love and the relationship we have that I have with you, if they could enter into that. Oh, and also I want them to be with me and to see my glory. So there's a, it's a, little, there's a little shift there. And this last one I just love, that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I in them. To me, this speaks of the Holy Spirit. So one of the mysteries to me is that the Holy Spirit's never mentioned in John 17. This to me is a big, has been a big question mark this whole year. Like, why? Because the Holy Spirit is so fundamental to the upper room discourse. Yeah. And he talks, John 14 and John I'm not sure 15, but 16 a lot. Right at the end of 15 and then well, 16. have those chats. Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> no. So he talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. And he, you know, one of the, of the seven things we kind of distilled out of the Upper Room Discourse, number seven, is the Holy Spirit is the key to everything. That really came from your talk, Dad. So why isn't the Holy Spirit in his prayer? Well, I think he is. But this is the nature of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is humble. The Holy Spirit is hidden. The Holy Spirit works behind the scenes. You know, you've got the scene in Revelation. You've got the, the throne and the Father. You've got the Lamb of God. You know, where's the Holy Spirit? Well, there's this fire burning before the throne. But it never says that's, or I guess it does say that's the sevenfold Spirit of God. But you've got kind of this sense of the Holy Spirit as, never wanting to draw attention to his own person. And so it's like that. It's like he's hidden there, you know. That the love would be in them. Well, how is that done? That's done through the Holy Spirit. The love of, we have the Holy Spirit living in the temple of our bodies. And the Holy Spirit is, I'm going to say, uh, let me say it this way. It is commonly understood in the research I've been doing this year, the study I've been doing on the Holy Spirit, one of the common understandings is that the Holy Spirit is, in a certain way, the love between the Father and the Son. And you get this on the Catholic, yeah. it's, it's a cross, yeah. it's kind of a common understanding of who is the Holy Spirit. Well, this is one way to think about the Holy Spirit. So I have a book that Jason gave me when he heard that I was going to focus on the Holy Spirit this year, Fame of Love by Clark Pinnock. It's a, he's a, a Reformed? He's a Baptist. Yeah. He, was, he was Baptist, very Reformed, and then Pentecostal, and, and then enigmatic, and a lot of people got mad at him. So he wrote this book in 97, I think, that... Uh, that I think it caused a lot of stir. It did. And has become, as I understand it, someone recognized that this was his magnum opus kind of thing. This was a good book. And it was very powerful for me. Here's what, this is really interesting. 
So I pulled this quote out from him. One theme is apparent in both the Gospels and the letters. The impression is given that the Spirit is the love that bonds the Father and the Son, mediating the relationship and evoking its ecstasy. Consider this passage. This is what he wrote. At the same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father. And he quotes the whole passage we did at Bridge Prayer. And it's so interesting to me that I picked this out and I didn't realize that was going to be the passage for Bridge Prayer. So, uh, so yeah, so but he's saying, you know, rejoicing in the Holy Spirit, which you pointed out, Amy, is an expression of this fact that somehow the love he's expressing or sharing with the Father at this point is mediated by and is somehow contained in the Holy Spirit. So this idea of, you know, the love with which you have loved me, they, they be in them, that's the Holy Spirit. And I in them. Well, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. But Jesus is a man. And it's very interesting. This is all mysterious, right? Jesus is a man. He hasn't stopped being a man. A Jewish man sits at the right hand of the Father today. So when we think of Jesus being in us, in a certain sense, you can't have Jesus the man in you. You can have him in the midst of the church. But the Holy Spirit is sent, and Jesus says this in John right. 16. It's a good thing that I'm going away, because if I go away, then I can send the Holy Spirit. And so you get a sense of these, how this I mean, it's all a mystery, right? But somehow there's a sense of how it works, that he is a man, he's always going to be a man, so he, he sent his spirit to live in us so that he would be in us. And yet he and the Father and the Spirit are one. And it's just beautiful, right? Mm. This is what we're being called into as a community. It's kind of interesting. I mean, this, this may sound kind of, this kind of might sound really out there, but like this morning, I would, you know, got up kind of early, and for some reason the Lord was just like, my sister was talking to me about this book she just read about this guy that like had an accident and like he had to use a different, you know, a different part of your brain has to come into play to kind of make up for like the loss of a damaged part of your brain. And this part of his brain is like the real mathematical part. And he never was like very smart or mathematical. He started seeing everything in fractals, you know, like just everywhere. Like you could see them, you know, like mathematicians know that. Like everything is like, you keep looking deeper. It's a fractal, it's a fractal, it's a fractal. Well, he just see he sees them like them. It's just this. But anyway, I just was seeing this morning just like the beauty of God. Like these things are they're all the same, but in our everything everything scientists can find, there's like you go down deeper, zoom down, 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 down. It's always a fractal. It's always but yet but it's different. You know, thing is different. But there's the oneness. There's a I don't know. It just kind of reminds yeah. me of that. There's something just really beauty. beauty of even God's creation reflects something of His oneness. Of yeah. His, I don't know. It's yeah. just, it was like a, that's what I'm saying. It's a little bit, but it just seems sort yeah. of like, kind of like that to me. Like, I and them and then, you know, like this mm -hmm. building of, you know, it's just, it's, anyway, it's just incredibly incredible. It's nothing that would ever fit in a systematic theology. You cannot create a system that explains all this. But it's what we're called into, and it's a beautiful thing. All right, one more time through here. This had just occurred to me this morning. This is also the same kind of thing of 
take this with a grain of salt. These are just Thomas's meditations. It's not doctrine. But to me, there's a certain way in which these three prayers contain in themselves the second coming and the hope of the second coming. Let me describe what I mean. The first prayer is clearly set in this day and age. He's praying for us now, in a sense, right? That we would be one. Why? So that this world would believe that you... So there's a mission Jesus is on that the world would believe. And there's so many in this room, I mean, Dory, you, Jason, that are, have given their lives in a powerful ways to answer this prayer and this hope of Jesus. But it, it's very grounded in this age, you know? And it's, it's interesting because you get the idea of mystical unity. Yeah, that will happen in the, you know, in the great Bible. Well, no, he's clearly praying about this. The unity is supposed to work itself out in evangelism and missions and people coming to Christ. And that's happening in this age, which firmly parts the unity prayer in this age. That's worth considering. Here... He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Once again, there's a lot there. But one aspect of this I feel like, I feel like he's looking towards the reunion. When the man Jesus and his body are reconnected. When Christ appears, yes. you're with him in glory. Exactly. That same with him is there. So there's a certain way in which, you know, I see, okay, he's praying for us in this day and age for unity and the purpose of the working out of world evangelization. And I think, oh, but I want them to be with me. I'm looking forward to that day when, once again, I'm standing face to face with my disciples. That's kind of the, I don't know about the process, engagement in them, but he's saying, I, I want to be, I want the marriage to, to be common. common. Yeah. That's, that's right. And, you know, to see my glory, right? I want them to see that, like Amy was saying, there's this hidden glory that we're going to see one day. John got a peek at it, you know, pow. We're going to see it. And then, to me, what you said, Dory, really comes into play here. Because this, to me, is bridal language, bridal language, you know? The love that you have loved me with might be in them and I in them. And I read that and I kind of think of this. Let us rejoice and give him glory. For the wedding supper of the Lamb has finally come, was prepared, and his bride has made herself ready. You know, so there's a way in which, as you look at what Jesus prays for us, there's kind of, he's praying towards that. He's praying, yes, that the Holy Spirit would be in us in this. I'm not trying to detract from that. I'm saying there's also a sense where he's looking, I think, towards eternity and our eternal life with him. And there's probably going to come a moment in several millennium in, millennium in, where we look at his prayer and say, oh yeah, that's really happening now. I mean, it kind of was happening on the earth, but it's really happening now. Well, and we'll I, and I'm so delighted in that. I don't think that we, ha we have the emotional, spiritual, whatever energy, resources to, per, to be willing to even think of joining in this pilgrimage without the hope of the future. Mm -hmm. It's the hope that, because that, we fail so much and we, we're so limited, and yet it's the hope that this is going to happen yeah. that keeps us going. Yeah. 
Amen. Amen. So that's what I wanted to bring us was just a deeper look at his actual prayer for us. Hopefully this is deeply encouraging. I got you, Jenny. Just a second. Deeply encouraging in your own personal life. I mean, all of this you can take in your own personal life and, and it can be very, you know, what better things to meditate on and pray towards. But also the life of this community. I mean, if Jesus is asking us the question, what does it look like for a community to live out John 17? This looks pretty good to me. <laughs> but also daunting, you know. But then the life of the body of Christ. I mean, this is all about the entire body of Christ. And what Jesus, Jesus prays for everyone. He's praying for the Catholics. He's praying for the Protestants. He's praying for the Orthodox. Messianic Jews. He's praying for the Syrian Christians. You know, on and on and on. So these are good things to pray for other streams of the body of Christ, just as Jesus did. So I want to encourage us in all these directions. Let's seize on to this prayer and, and live in it in the days and months and years to come. So, just like Jenny's first. Okay. Oh, I, no. Go, Jenny. Your dad was already. No, Jenny. I want to okay. hear from you. No, I, you had, had said um, in talking about this that we're looking forward, but we're also praying this. Okay. I don't know if I'm getting this right, but I just wanted to see. And we're also praying to have this experience God's, you know, experience God's presence and his unity and the, the, the Trinitarian unity in the presence. Yes. Present. Yep. And, and so I was looking back at John 17, and I have been trying to find this. When Jesus prays for himself, he says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God of Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Yes. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And what was interesting to me was that the, another translation for eternal life is the life of the ages. This is this is what he intends us to experience, not just after we die, right. but it's an, an an experience. It's right now, you know, to have that life of the ages, that experience of his presence, mm-hmm. you know, here and now. Amen. That's good. Yeah. You're exactly right. And it's, I love the way, you know, Dallas Willard writes so beautifully on this. And that whole school of apprenticeship to Jesus. And he calls it the eternal kind of life. Which I just love. Because it change, really changes the sense of it. It's the eternal, we're, we're being invited into the eternal kind of life. Exactly. But it doesn't mean it's only in eternity. The eternal kind of life invades Somehow we're given the ability to seize on and kind of have a deposit or a seal of that here right. and now. And right. how far can we go into that? I don't think we know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Jesus went pretty far as he walked on the earth and he said, greater things will you do. And so I think it's a mystery as to how, has anyone ever plumbed the depths of how much eternal life you can live on this earth? 
I, I don't think know. it was part of what Diane was saying about she kept going. Yeah. There, yeah. There's a certain depth. Yeah. Um, but but this closely relates to CPR because uh, this is another this is the five day retreat somewhere else. But there's five things we say we do as a community. And this has been for the last four or five years. Um, one of them is formation. All five of the things that we say we do as a community are found in John 17, which I think is really beautiful. And that is formation. This is eternal life. That they would know you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's what it means to be formed. Is to come to know Jesus the way Philip was talking about this morning. Well, so, the full formation is the glory of Christ. Because the glory of God is Christ. And him fully formed, we reflect Which is what Amy was saying. I mean, yeah, it's, this is so beautiful. So, yeah. Dad, yes. Yeah, well, uh, this, this relates to Amy's talk this morning. In that uh, Psalm 45 talks about the royal bridegroom. Uh, bride. Bride. Mm-hmm. Not the bridegroom. Yep. The bride. And, and the scripture is glorious. Yep. And so I think yeah. you know, that's a real relevant passage. Absolutely. To, to this. Amen. Subject. And the Song of Songs, which mm-hmm. is right in there. Yeah. I mean, Psalm 45 is like someone prefigured or read the Song of Songs and wrote a song. It's very similar. Yeah. Fair. I think going, you're asking, Virginia, how far you were saying, how far can someone go with that? I mean, I think that we have not plunged the depths of how intimate we can be with the Father, like Jesus was intimate when he was here, which goes along with what uh, Philip was asking when we're asking ourselves that question, what, I can't remember exactly how to form the question. Are you willing to yes. let the Holy Spirit move within you? And 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 he was saying, oh, he always said, yeah, sure, but really when we think really deeply, really deeply about that question, then we start, some reservations, little reservations start coming up because we know what that means. That going deeper, yeah. and so I think that's a, me- a thing to meditate on is because that is Jesus. I mean, it's it's a very mystical thing, obviously, but um, that's the question we ask ourselves: is how deep do I want to go? What do I want to give up? What am I willing yeah. to give up? Yeah. And when we look at what we just looked at this afternoon, it seems so foolish to hold on to anything right. when we're offered this. What what are you going to hold on to that compares? And yet, these things have a a grip on us, and part of the walking into the process of formation is that process of letting go and repenting. And And the fact that Jesus, that the Trinity was willing to send Jesus into the tension of just what what we just said, is is, he's affirming the struggle that we're going to have while we're on earth. Yeah. He's not saying. Yeah, that's right. He's not a. He's not Buddha saying you got to escape from it. Right. He's saying, this is part of eternal life. I'm not praying that you take them out yeah. of the world, but that right. you protect them right. in the world. Yeah, so good. So I kind of think that Janine, what you're saying though, is also like a representation of the the Trinity, too, because, um, so like a like an IHOP 
it's interesting, but the it's like the more they know God, the like richer and deeper are the songs and the intercession and the harp and bowl and so there's a lot of songs they pray now or they sing with about the transcendent nature of God, but also the preeminent nature of Jesus. And mm. so I was thinking when you're talking about it, it's, well, it's transcendence, but it's preeminence. Mm. And so with Jesus, if we join in this prayer in John 17, we're joining in the past prayer of Jesus mm-hmm. for our current life in Christ and the Holy Spirit now, but the future of the glory and the marriage that we have to mm-hmm. come. And so we're joining with the Trinity in the past, present, and future realities right. that are all three right. existing, like the Trinity, all three exist together yep. and joining in that relationship mm-hmm. with the Trinity. Mm-hmm. But I think for CTR, we join in the past wounds of the church to heal them, our mm-hmm. present community in life, but then the future glory. So it's the it's a threefold mm-hmm. past, present, future that mm-hmm. to be in we're we're in the the three at the same time they're all three relevant mm. with the hope yeah. and our present life mm. and then yeah. the history yeah. yeah so i have one last yeah i know we're trying to get on what i'm not can you heard. back up that quote from the book Yeah. What is that? What is this? You know? I, I'm thinking of a time when yeah, 
when Noah was little, you know, it's just full of, of um, childhood joy. He was just a, an exuberant little boy, and he was hiding through the woods with some of his friends, and he just let out this like war cry, "Chucky Pacock!" became his thing. Everything was kind of speaking in tongues. Like it was just, oh wow, it's the Chucky Pacock, you know. It's just, <laughs> I don't know how to say it, so I'll just say it. <laughs> Good. Well, there's, you know, we've spent, what, six hours on John 17 now, and I feel like we're just, it's not like we've plumbed the depths. So we've got, a, we've got decades to go, which is a beautiful thing. Let's see. John Michael, would you just say a prayer of blessing? I know we're running a little bit over. Uh, sealing of our time here. Uh, you know, in many ways, I feel like this is a culminating retreat for the whole year. But there's another sense in which this is a launching retreat. Yes. And the the next questions that we need to be asking ourselves is, what does it mean to live this out? What does that look like? And that touches very practical things, but it's good to just peer in and learn before we try to apply. Go ahead, John Michael. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we just thank you for what you're doing in what you've done all along leading us up to today, Lord God, and this culmination and uh, what you've been revealing to us, God. And thank you so much for Thomas and Amy and Philip and everyone that's at a part and that you've spoken through to bring us to this place of a new level of, we hope, understanding. And we hope that that understanding will turn into experience, Lord. That's our hope. And Lord, I pray that what we talk about here and what you show us here and we get glimpses of here would in a good way kind of start to haunt us Lord in a sense like that would, would be in our minds and our hearts and we wouldn't be able to shake it sort of Lord and, and it would just begin to uh, take on a life in us Lord in our souls and spirits and um, that you would, would lead us into new revelation personally of intimacy with you Father and with you Jesus and Holy Spirit as the one mediating that relationship, Lord. And, um, so we want to give that relationship, Lord, our relationship to the Father and to Jesus, to you, Holy Spirit, to safeguard it and to grow it and to bless it, Lord. And I just thank you for everyone that was here today. Thank you for the faithful uh, community members of, of CTR. Thank you for Jason being here today, Lord. Uh, just thank you for everyone. And I believe that people have been called here and they have a purpose and um, we ask protection over every one of us, Lord God, and our families and we're to help everyone get home safely today, Lord. But as I said, let us get home still thinking about the wonderful, exciting, perplexing, amazing things that you're showing and revealing to us, Lord. Help us to ponder them, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for Lord, we want to pray from here into the life of the body of Christ worldwide, which is what you did, Jesus, and dare to join with you and say, would you make your people one? Would you draw them into the unity of the Trinity? Would you speak to them of your desire for intimate relationship and communion with them? Would you put your Holy Spirit in a new way all through the body of Christ worldwide and in our midst? so that we can live out what you prayed for us, that the world might believe that you sent 
Father Jesus to the earth in love for salvation. We ask all these things in the name of the Father and the Son.